So I'm going to pick up where I left off last Sunday. If you were here, you know I put it to you pretty good. What's 2017 need to be about? Anybody remember? Seeking the Lord that we all may live. Now, that's true for the unbeliever and for the believer. It's valid. The unbeliever needs to seek the Lord that he might be saved. The believer needs to seek the Lord that he would go deeper, deeper in radical obedience to Jesus, being changed, right? Knowing Him in a more real and deep and meaningful way to make much of Jesus with our daily lives. I'm going to start with this again. I know I've, I think I've said it to you three of the four or five Sundays that we've been together. I'm going to start with this C.S. Lewis quote. Once a man follows God, how could he not live forever? Once a man refuses to follow God, what can he do but wither and die? So I'm going to put it to you again. Yeah, I know we're in February already, but it's still a brand new year. And I want to challenge you again. What are you going to do with 2017? Is it going to be all about Christ? Or is it pretty much just going to be about you? And if I have some spare time, I'll squeeze Christ in there. So, I'm going to put it to you again from the text that I read to you. Um, God says, as you know, I am who I am. I do what I do. Will you love me? Will you believe me? We talked about it last week. Isaiah 65.1, I think it is. God says, here I am. Here I am. You can have as much of me as you want. And I'm going to put it to you again. How much of God do you want? I always tell you. <laughs> People come to me and they say, Jim, I don't, God's not in my life. I say, hey, that's, that's on you. You get as much of God as you want. And that's why I exhorted you last week to seek the Lord. We saw it all the way across the, the Bible, didn't we? Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. That's what God says to mankind. I'm going to quote another Englishman here, Oswald Chambers. He's a famous 20th century minister. He says this, God brings us to the place where He asks us to believe Him and obey Him, but too often we begin to debate with Him. Has that ever happened to you? We got any God debaters in here? You don't have to raise your hand. That moment becomes a great crossroads in our lives and we have to decide for God or against God. Now, some of you are in that place right now. You're having to make a decision right now. It's immediate. Will you make a decision for God or against God? We saw it last week. David's words to his son Solomon. You may remember from 1 Chronicles 28.9, David says, If you seek God, He will let you find Him. But if you forsake God, He will reject you forever. These are the words of Scripture. David says to Solomon, You decide for God. Or you decide against God. It's your decision. You decide what you're going to do with 2017. It's up to you. What are you going to do with the new year? We saw it, I think it was four weeks ago, I very briefly contrasted Kadesh Barnea when the, when the, the Exodus Jews wouldn't go in. You know, they wouldn't go into the, the promised land. God wasn't God enough for them. They didn't believe it. They didn't believe He could uh, give them the promised land. What happened to them? Anybody remember? They died in the wilderness. You know, it's C.S. Lewis's quote, right? You can wither and die if you want. You can. It's your call. 
But we also looked at Gideon, right? Gideon and those 300 guys outnumbered 450 to 1. Believing God, trusting God, obeying God, and getting the thrill of their life as God routes the enemy, right? So you decide. You want to be like the, the Old Testament Exodus Jews, or do you want to be like Gideon? It's your decision. It's up to you. It is up to you. So, yeah, this is what I want for you. I love you. I, I'll get off the New Year thing real, real soon, I promise. Maybe next week, I don't know. But I really want to drive a stake in the ground. I want some of you to drive a stake in the ground. This year is, is Christ. It belongs to Christ like, like I've never lived before. This year is about Him. It's going to be about Him. I'm going to make much of Him in all my relationships, all my hobbies, all my endeavors, all my studies, all my labors, all my deeds, all my words. Jesus will be Lord. And He will reign in my life and the world will see it. You know, I, I know I always say this to you, but it's one of my favorite quotes. It's in the Braveheart movie, every man dies, but not every man really lives. And I, that's what I'm trying to invite you into. Come on, right? No more compromising. No more rationalization. Let's really go with Christ in 2017. All of us. It's what I want for myself and Karen. And I pray that it's what you want for yourself. So we talked a little bit about last week how to flesh that out. How do we flesh out seeking the Lord? We talked about a number of practical things. You can go listen to the, the message on the podcast site if you need to, or you can email me. I'll send you my notes. But I summed it up with one verse. Anybody remember? If you really want God, Bertha's always my go-to girl, man. She knows. If you really want God, you obey God. It's John 14, 21. God rocked my world with John 14, 21 one time. And I'm going to tell you a little bit of that story. I know I refer to it on occasion, but I seldom tell it. But I'm going to tell you tonight. John 14, 21. You heard the text. You heard the text read. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he, is, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father. And I will love him. And I will disclose myself to him. 25 years ago, God rocked my world with John 14, 21. As I shared with you earlier, it's been 11 years since I've preached it. This is ministerial malpractice. I apologize. I should come back to this verse a little more often. It's an indispensable verse if you're serious about walking with Christ. Now, if, again, if Jesus is just a religious icon to you and the church is just a religious habit, you don't need John 14.21. But if you love Christ and you're, you're really a disciple of Christ and you've given yourself away to Christ, you have to have John 14. You have to have all of it, but particularly John 14.21. You have to have it. You have to understand it. At least from my perspective. I shared with you, I hope you have your Bibles or electronic device open, I shared with you uh, just a moment ago, let me give you the context of John 14. This is hours before the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus. He's in the upper room with the eleven. He has already dismissed Judas to go do his dastardly deed. And Jesus begins to teach his men. They're like, Four or five chapters there, and Jesus is just teaching, man. He's just downloading on these guys. 
It's just, it's beautiful. All the things that Jesus says there. And, he, and he, it consummates, I think, as I recall in John 17 when He prays that beautiful prayer. We'll pick up with the text in just a moment, but I want to share with you some personal experiences with John 14, 21. It was almost 25 years ago to the day. I don't remember the exact date. I remember it was in February. And I had to decide for God or against God. And you're going to have to decide that too this year. Every one of us. A lot of little things and probably some really big things. You're going to have to decide for or against God, I don't often share this story in detail because I don't want you to, I, I don't want it to be about me. But you know, sometimes it's right to give a testimony. And so basically, I, uh, for part of the sermon, I'm going to give you a testimony. This is not about how strong Pastor Jim is. In fact, if you listen closely, you'll understand it's about how weak Pastor Jim is and how sufficient Jesus Christ is and His Word. So, most of you know I was in business for 20 years before I went to seminary. Room for Hanky Panky, right? So he comes to me one day and he asks me to do something that we both know is illegal. And in the providence of God, I did not have to give a direct answer. We were interrupted. I was able to go to lunch. So cowardly Jim, who didn't answer immediately, cowardly Jim goes to lunch. And cowardly Jim does what cowardly Jim used to do at that time of my life. I would go get me a quarter pounder with cheese and some fries, of course. And I would go park under a tree and I would study the Bible. I, had, I taught a class at this time and I would go study the Bible so I could be ready on Monday night to teach the class. So, that's where I am. And I'm asking God to really help me because I'm scared. I know what I should do, but I was really afraid. Okay. I have a stay-at-home wife. I have two young children. I have a dog, a cat, two finches, and a mortgage. I cannot afford to lose my job. Not only that, I was a bad manager of the family's Finances, I was living to the max. We were living to the max. Some of you are living to the max. You need to stop it. We were living to the max. I had no savings at all. All I had was debt. Debt and, and no savings. That put more pressure on me. I can't lose this job. I'm going to have to do what my boss says. So I'm sitting in my little 310 Datsun hatchback. You know what a Datsun is, right? Used to be, now they're Nissans. They used to be Datsun. It was the sorriest, ugliest. It even had a bad smell, this car. But God met with me there a lot. And uh, so I'm sitting there in my little 310 hatchback, and I'm crying out to God, Lord, I need your help. I want to be a man here, but I'm afraid I'm not going to be one. Any of you ever been there? I want to be a man here, but I sense I'm not going to have what it takes. And coincidentally, don't you love these God coincidences, which I actually don't believe in? My Bible study is in John 14. So, I open it up. 
And I begin to look at John 14. God set me free that day. He cut me loose from my cowardice. I'm not saying that cowardice doesn't well up in me at times. But I'm saying He cut me loose that day. Some theologians call John 14 the 23rd Psalm of the New Testament. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I always love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of verse 6 there. As David speaks to God, your beauty and your love chase after me every day of my life. I'm sitting in my little 310 hatchback and I, and I realize that God's beauty and love are chasing after me right now. Right now. This is not abstract. This is what's happening in my car at lunch. It made me think of Isaiah 51.12. God says, I am He who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid? God says, I, I'm here for you. I am your shepherd. I am your God. Who are you to fear man? Is actually what the text says. Isaiah 51, 12. I want to pick up here. John 14. Chapter 14, verse 15. And I want you to understand, I'm taking a macro truth here that God is revealing. I'm taking a macro truth and I'm, I'm, I'm applying it to, to my situation in the micro sense. But isn't it right? Isn't it true that all of Christianity comes down to the particulars? Doesn't it always come down to the, 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 the particulars of our life? Doesn't it come down to the small things? If it hasn't trickled down to the small things, you may have a huge problem with the big things. So I want to acknowledge that this passage is really talking in a macro sense, but I'm, I'm going to flesh it out in a micro sense and how God used it to help me in one particular incident. And I want you to notice this too. Jesus, who He's addressing in the text? Does he, is He addressing Christians? Does He use the word Christian? Does He even use the word believer? What does He say? Who's He talking about here? Five times in this text, Jesus says, I'm talking to the ones who what? Love Me. Now, many people claim to be Christian. They have no love for Christ whatsoever. Many claim to be believers, but they don't love Christ. They don't really love Him. There's no relationship going on. It's just religion. It's like all the other world religions. You know, I'm just, I'm just trying to tip my hat to God and keep my get out of hell card in my pocket. It's not about a relationship. And Jesus is talking about here. He's talking to His eleven. He says it's all about relationship. It's all about that. This is what Jesus is saying to us. Jesus doesn't say, if you love me, you'll, church, you'll attend church when you can. He doesn't say, if you love me, you'll be a religious person. He doesn't say, if you love me, you'll have sentimental feelings for me. He doesn't say, if you love me, sometimes you'll listen to what I say. Sometimes you'll read my Bible. What does Jesus say? If you love me, what? Someone tell me. If you love me, what? You'll do what I say. Obedience is always the biblical test 
for true faith and love. It's always the biblical test. Always. Without fail. Let me think of 1 John 5, 3. John writes, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. I want to make sure we understand Doing a list of commandments is not necessarily love for God. We, the Pharisees did a list of commandments. They would do the list, of course, with a polluted heart. They'd do the list. Of course, they killed Jesus when He came. It's not doing the list. It's loving Christ. Doing the list is an overflow of loving Christ, right? This is what we're talking about here. It's not simply doing a list. It's not being a Pharisee. It's loving Christ and seeking to please Him and magnify Him in the world through our obedience, right? So I want to make sure we understand what's being talked about here. You know, obedience in the real world or in the, the, this fallen world, uh, most people chafe against it. They loathe to, 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 to be under authority. But God's perspective is completely different. God says, when you, when you start to, to order your life and build your life around Me and obey Me, you find freedom. That's what Jesus said to His men in John 8, if you abide in My Word, then you are truly disciples of Mine, and you shall know the truth, and you shall be free. Right? To come under submission with Jesus is freedom. It's not, it's not constraint it's actually freedom. Jesus knows His 11 men are about to go through a, a very difficult time. He's going to be taken away. They're going to be sheep without a shepherd. And God is, God is speaking here to encourage these men. He's saying to them, the storm is coming. And I say to you all the time, the storm is coming in your life. The storm is always coming. There's always a storm coming. You're supposed to be ready when the storm arrives. You're supposed to be ready so you can make much of Christ. And Jesus is trying to get these 11 guys ready. He says, when the storm comes, obey Me. Basically, is what Jesus is saying to these men. It's one of the things Jesus taught me back in 1992. You remember, you remember the guy in Matthew 7 who built upon the rock? The storm came, but he, he, he built upon the rock. He, you remember what it says about him? He, he believed the words of God and he what? Anybody remember? He acted on them, right? He acted on them. So... It's what God was challenging me in 1992. He was saying, Jim, are you, you really believe me? <laughs> Do you really believe me? Will you obey me right now? Your whole family's at risk! Will you believe me right now? The other thing he was asking me in that little 310 hatchback, Do you really love me? Or is this just Sunday morning chatter? Do you really love me? Will you do what I say when it's hard, when it's costly, when it's risky? So I'm going to stop and ask you those two questions right here. And we'll move on. Is He God enough for you when the storm comes?
when the fear comes? Are you standing on the rock? Or is Christianity just a hobby? You remember what Jesus said in Luke 6.46, Why do you call Me Lord and what? Not do what I say. If you're not going to do what I say, and again, I always qualify it. I'm not talking about perfection here. That's not what we're talking about. None of us achieve perfection. But you know what's in your heart. You know if it's in your heart to obey the Lord and magnify the Lord in obedience. You know if it's in your heart or not. You know if it's in your heart. Hey, if it's not in your heart, don't call me Lord anymore. We could flip that verse and basically come to that conclusion. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, and He may be with you forever. Uh, that is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold Him or know Him, but you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. This is a breathtaking promise. Jesus is saying, I'm sending another. The third member of the Trinity is coming. Right? It's a breathtaking thing. And He wants them to know the storm is coming, but don't worry. I'm not physically here anymore, but don't worry. The Spirit is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming to you. I don't leave you defenseless. The Holy Spirit is coming. I never cease to be amazed at how matter-of-factly many professing Christians think about this and talk about this. Okay, the third member of the Godhead is in here. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Why do you shrink back? Why do you shrink back? The Spirit of God is here. Jesus says, He's here. I'll send Him. He's yours. He's my gift to you. The Holy Spirit is coming. And listen, when the Holy Spirit comes, it's the, it's the whole John 3 thing. It's the born again thing. When the Holy Spirit comes, it's the born again thing. It's the conversion thing, right? It's what Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about. The Holy Spirit can't take up residence in you and you not change, this is an oxymoron. Don't tell me you're a Christian and you're out there living like the world. Just stop talking like that. Because you're not. If the Holy Spirit's in here, everything changed. When He showed up, it all changed. And you have the power to be a radical Christian in the world because He's here. You know, in the book I wrote about Hebrews 11, it's not, you know, we can all do radical faith. It's not how cool we are, it's how awesome God is. <laughs> right? It's never about us. It's never about our reflection in the mirror. It's not about our resume. It's about God's resume. And Jesus is preparing the men for the storm that is coming. So I'm sitting in my little car. God is saying, Jim, I am with you. I am in you. I am your help. Go be a man. <laughs> right? Go be a man! Verse 18. Then I read this. I will not leave you as an orphan, and I will come to you. Go be a man, Jim! Go be the man you want to be. 
Not only the man I want you to be, but I know who you want to be. You go be that guy, and I got your back. Beloved, you have complete and utter total license to be radical out there because he's got your back. He's always got your back. <laughs> he always has your back. You are not an orphan. You are mine. And I will come to you. Verse 19, After a little while, the world will behold me no more, but you will behold me because I live. You shall live also. He said, he's saying, as he talks about through these three or four chapters, that I'm, talking about, I'm talking about my people. This is not for the world. This is for you. This is for the converted man or woman. It's for you. I am with you. I will come to you. I will keep every promise I've made to you. It's very specific. To those who love me. It's always that. It's always about that. So God's... Hey, hey I'm beholding God. Right? I'm beholding God. In the Word of God. It's why we teach the Word of God here. It's why we do Bible studies. You behold God in the Word of God. You hear God in the Word of God. That's why it's non-negotiable for us. Even if the church closes down, I'll never change the bedrock of this church. If nobody comes and it all ends, we'll still be preaching the truth. We're not going to tickle ears here, you know? My life's too short, your life's too short. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. I'm sitting in my car and God is saying, go be a man. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. I am with you. Verse 20, In that day you shall know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Okay, this verse is too, it's too awesome to speculate. I'm not going to fully develop it. I don't have time. But what's being said here is this mystery of the redeemed and the Godhead. As one theologian said, uh, without any uh, blasphemy or disrespect in any way, in all humility, just trying to process what the Bible says, he says we're like the fourth member of the Trinity. There's something true there. I don't want to press it too far. But we're caught up into this unity in the Godhead, and I don't want to... You can't explain it. I think the, the further you go in trying to explain it, the, the closer you get to heresy. So, I will leave it alone. But God is saying in my... In 1992, under that shade tree, my little Datsun, he says, you are in me, Jim, and I am in you. Go be a man. <laughs> you know, I'm starting to get jacked, right? I'm starting to get jacked up um, about the thing. I'm still afraid, but I'm starting to get jacked up. Verse 21, here it is. Now I'm sold out. I read this. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. And a light went on in my brain. I had an epiphany. Wait a minute. Did God just say, if I'll obey him, I get him? Did he just say that? If I'll obey God, I get God. Did he just say that? That's what he said to me. 
It's what He's saying to every true believer. I'll manifest Myself to you in a brand new way as you keep coming after Me in obedience. You're always getting more, always getting more, always getting more. You say, Jim, I'm not getting much of God. Again, that's probably on you. There's probably some disobedience in your life that you're aware of that you're not dealing with. Are you kidding me? You want sin when you can have God? We all sin. We all will sin until the day we see Him. But are you kidding me? You're going to build your life around sin? As C.S. Lewis says, you're far too easily pleased. You're building your, your life around sex and ambition and power and stuff when you can have God. You know, I'm challenging you again, beloved, not to settle. Not to settle in the new year. Look at verse 23. Look what it says. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and will... Uh, we will come to Him and make our home with Him. And just the first part of 24, and He who does not love Me does not keep My Word. He said it positively and negatively. So, do you want God? <laughs> do you want God? Really. Just you and Him. Do you want Him? Man, you can have all of Him you can get in 2017. It's called obedience. I'm not a Pharisee. It's not about being a Pharisee. Anybody can be a Pharisee. You don't have to love Christ to be a Pharisee. But to love Jesus when the storm comes, you better be more than a Pharisee. You better be in relationship. I looked at this Greek word Translated disclose, it means I will appear, manifest, show, declare myself, exhibit myself, I'll come into view, I'll disclose myself, I'll make myself known to you. I was listening to John Piper preach the other day. He says, you know, he, he says, living out the Bible, incarnating the Bible, it's not making an inference from doctrine. It's not merely making some inference from doctrine that I have put into my life. It's about relationship, right? It's about a relationship. It's about a manifestation of God in our daily lives as we seek Him and as we seek to obey Him. Man, when, when, when I understood what God was saying, it just sounded like the best ride I could take. I could, go, I could go do the illegal thing, probably get by. But I was, I was doing the math. I was thinking... Where's the payoff here? Where's the big payoff? What's the big payoff? God. God. Oh, I was doing the math in my head, the calculus. That's really the deal? I get God? I'm on board. I'm on board. God is saying, Jim, you go back and you tell your boss respectfully that you cannot do anything illegal because you belong to me. You go back to your boss and you put your love for me on display. You let him see it. You let everybody in the company see it. He said, you go back and you love me and you obey me and I will give myself to you in a brand new way. So I want to say this. I didn't go back and do what was right because I was religious, because I was a church member, because I was self-righteous, or because I was a good man. I was a coward. I was a sinful coward. 
But God stiffened up my spine. His Word stiffened up my spine. He says, I'll be with you. You go be a man, and I got your back. And I got your wife. I got your kids. I got your dog. I got your cat. I got your finches. I got your mortgage. You go be a man. This was a pretty big day for me. It was a pretty big day. So I went back to the office. He knew I was an outspoken Christian. He said, if you don't do it, you're gone. And I said, see you later. I was out the door. Seven days later, I had a far better job with a far better career path. Now, I want you to understand, God doesn't always work that fast. He doesn't always work in such an obvious way. Sometimes God's ways are past finding out. Even if I hadn't gotten the immediate blessing of, a, of, a, of, a, of another job, there would have been something else God meant for me to learn from it. So I, I don't want us to, to get confused and think, well, you know, this is a quid pro quo with God. If I do X, I, oh, Y always happens. In one sense, Y always does happen. But sometimes Christians obey God and it gets harder, right? We understand that from Scripture and from history. It's just true. But God never stops coming to... Okay, let me just sum it up like this. Daniel was delivered, but Stephen was stoned. Do you get it? And God was with both of them. God was with both of them. God was faithful to both of them. God was doing something different in each one of their lives. What the true believer does, I give my life up to Christ. The consequences are yours, Lord. The consequences are yours. You do what pleases you in my life. This is not quid pro quo. It's not about that. And I just want to say this. You know, if I'd been a coward that day, which I really wanted to, I'm just, I just really wanted to be a coward that day, but here's the thing. Uh, that new job, <laughs> it put me on a career path and an earnings path that ultimately set me free to quit my job and go to seminary. What I'm saying to you is if I had been a coward that day, I probably would not be standing here. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? I'm saying don't let an opportunity to radically obey Christ go by. You have no idea how costly that may be in your future life. So, I just want to share that with you. You can have no idea. Listen, you don't have any idea how your obedience not only ripples your life and your eternity, but that of others. You have no idea. So ultimately, why does the Christian fight through to obedience even when we struggle? Is it because we ought or we should? No, it's never about ought or should. Yes, we ought and yes, we should, but it's infinitely deeper than ought and should. It's I know Him and I love Him. It's what it comes down to, beloved. And I'm challenging you. Do you know Him? And do you love Him? And will you obey Him in the new year like you know you ought to? That's what the ecstasy of heaven will be. 
of being eternities of God disclosure. And that begins right now as we begin to walk in earnest with Him. So if you're not a Christian tonight, these promises are not for you. But you can come to Christ tonight. If you've got questions about that, you can come and talk to me and we'll sort it out together. If you are a Christian tonight, seriously? <laughs> okay, seriously? You want sin more than you want God? Repent! Repent. If you are distracted, Christian, if you are distracted just now with anything that's taken the place of Jesus as the preeminent affection and love of your life, I'm saying to you, repent. If you've become distracted, if you're looking at something shiny in the world and you're no longer walking as closely with Christ as you know you ought, I'm saying repent tonight. Repent. 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 You get as much of God as you want. God says, I am who I am. I do what I do. You decide if you want me or not. You decide if you love me or not. You decide if you will go with me or not. You decide if you will, be, will believe, trust, and obey me. You decide. It's all on you. It's all on you. C.S. Lewis says, once a man follows God, how could he not live forever? Once a man refuses to follow God, what can he do but wither and die? Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not obey or keep my word. Beloved, I give you the best gift a human being can receive. As I told you last week, I'm just a mouthpiece, man. Just a mouthpiece. God's talking to you from His Word. He's talking to you. I'm nothing. God's talking to you. He's saying, man, I want you to have a huge 2017. And I want to be right in the middle of it. And I want to manifest myself to you in a brand new way. And what it's called is obedience. That's the deal. <laughs> that's the deal. We're not saved by works. That's another sermon. I'm not saying we're saved by works. That's not what I'm saying. We're saved by grace. Sovereign grace. But if it's real, as James chapter 2 says, if it's real, it's going to be flowing out. It's going to be flowing out. So I challenge you. I challenge you, beloved, as we continue in the new year. We are going to celebrate the table.